to Dawson Speak, a podcast about Dawson's Creek. I'm Tracy. And this is Charles. And welcome to 403, the episode about 403, that is... Dawson's Creek, the storm. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do an announcer voice. Charles is referring to the trailer, I mean the promo for this episode, which we will watch in a few minutes. Um, <laughs> I almost introed this as welcome to 403, two gentlemen of Rona. Not two gentlemen of Rona. It's two gentlemen of Capeside. So is it like alternate episode titles? They, they called it The Storm in the promo, but the, the documentation we have calls the episode The Gentlemen of Capeside. No, no, no. Two it's gentlemen called Two Gentlemen of Capeside, but for the promos, sometimes they give it like an alternate title. A more or like dramatic something just title. sort of, yeah, something more dramatic or catchy. In the world of Dawson's Creek, how uh-huh. it's listed pretty much everywhere, how it listed in the TV guide, it's Two Gentlemen of Capeside. I guess if you're cutting a promo, the storm is more intense than Dawson's Creek, Two Gentlemen of Capeside. <laughs> yes. Wasn't there already an episode called Storm? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, season one, it was Hurricane. Hurricane. Yeah. And that was a di- the real title. A different type of storm. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Charles, before yes, we Tracy. get into all things Two Gentlemen of Capeside, yes. we got like a million, not a million, we got a lot of emails and tweets about this. <laughs> what? So I had said in the last episode, why doesn't Mrs. Valentine know who the Potters are, right? Yes. And um, on our website, which is DawsonSpeak.com, if you all want to go and check it out, you can there. Uh Jocelyn had left a comment that said, I think Mrs. Valentine didn't know who Joey was or the family history because they had just moved to town. Fair point. A lot of people said this to us on many different platforms, so I stand corrected. That makes sense. But for someone who just I guess they did just move to Cape Said. We know that for a fact. But Drew has a very good understanding of the members of the Yacht Club for someone who just moved to I Cape Said. I think it's because he hangs around there all day and probably like snoops through. He seems like the type of person to be like snooping through people's stuff you know yeah we see him putting things on other people's checks so he does seem like that kind of person like maybe they've been there all summer but of course joey just hasn't been around because of course she was sailing with pacey mm-hmm. in the summer it's very um, true speaking of things that happened over the summer also on our website comment from uh, tish miles uh, they said, I think it was easy for Pacey to not know he failed his classes. Sometimes you could be doing okay leading up to finals, but if your final is worth a lot and you take it and then you fail the class, he might not have realized how bad he took the finals. And then, and then this comment also points out, if you remember at the end of season three, he didn't really study for his finals. I also think the difference between how Pacey reacted to school with Andy is he never really had to worry about Andy leaving him behind, whereas mm. with Joey, he knew that it was always her plan to leave Cape Stein, and I feel like and I think he feels like he brings Joey down. Joey's only escape is through school, and Pacey is aware of that. And I think that's actually a really good point. First off, true, he maybe didn't realize he failed, and no one ever got the memo to him because he was off sailing, that he flunked a bunch of classes. In When he was talking to Mitch, uh, Pacey did say, I didn't stick around to like figure out how well I did in all my classes. Oh, yeah, they just took off like right away, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but I think that's actually a really good point about Andy and Joey, because you and I talked last week about the context of their relationships and how different they were just based on like, just like various different factors. And I think one of the things we didn't think about was just the time in which they got together, mm-hmm. you know, being juniors or end of sophomore year, whenever Pacey and Andy first meet, 
like the context is very much different whereas joey's always like now they're in senior year and things are like you know oh it's very real that joey is going to be leaving and pacey has now been hit more with the reality of the fact that he may not be Mm, that is a very good point like a relationship at the end of your sophomore year completely different than a senior year relationship yeah, yeah. Uh, also, as we asked last week for people to tell us what they think of Drew Valentine, people seem to have a love-hate for Drew Valentine, which is as we predicted, and I feel like you and I will probably experience as well. It At this point, it fairly accurately represents how I feel about him. Yeah, it's like that, ooh, things are going to get interesting, and then it's also like, leave Joey alone. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> we'll talk more about the Valentines this episode, and also speaking of talking about the episodes which is what this podcast is hello um jessica on twitter sent us a tweet that said charles is really good at predictions because <laughs> <laughs> in the last episode you predicted that in this episode the true love would sink yes the episode before you had predicted that failing dad was going to be about pacey's grades yes and so i tweeted back at jessica and said he's getting too good at, <laughs> at predictions i'm getting suspicious <laughs> Are you cheating, Charles? No. In my defense, I didn't actually think... Well, I was taken aback by the fact that Pacey was failing. I figured, knowing the show, that it'd probably be about his grades, but I didn't understand how they were going to get there. Uh, and you know what? Sometimes I get lucky. It's <laughs> it's not hard to predict that the true love may sink at some point. It's very... That image is full of meaning. You're figuring out, like, soapy teen drama tropes. You've come a oh long way God. since last year when we first what, started this. One season, I'm super into, like, what was it that, it was I, that I thought was really, really good because I'd never seen it before? Uh. Like, it, it was, oh, gosh, I can't remember the storyline or, like, the plot point, <laughs> but I thought it was, like, so new and fresh. And to you, it was, like, a thing you had seen Oh yeah, times. it was something to do with di- it was something about dialogue for sure, like the way that things were being referenced. Oh, was was it in um, Longest Day? I think it was before that. I remember um, having this conversation multiple times where you would be like, "It was so interesting that they did this, but it had a double meaning," and I was like, "Yeah, Charles, that happens." A lot. <laughs> listen, listeners, I have not watched a lot of soapy teen dramas. Things catch me by surprise sometimes, but now we've been doing the show for three plus seasons. You're learning. I- yeah, finally. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, for all of our new listeners out there, hello, welcome. Thanks for not abandoning ship too quickly. <laughs> um, if you have not yet rated and reviewed us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, please do that. It helps us out and we like seeing your helpful feedback. <laughs> um, okay, before we talk about 403, Two Gentlemen of Capeside. Speaking of learning, Tracy. Our favorite singer-songwriter, Paula Cole. Yes. I've told you that she has drawn inspiration from hip-hop and R&B before. Mm-hmm. But did you know that modern R&B has also drawn inspiration from Paula Cole? Really? In 2017, American R&B duo They, T-H-E-Y, all in caps, period, released a song called Dante's Creek that was inspired by I Don't Wanna Wait. Uh, the first line of the song is, I don't want to wait for our lives to be over. If it happened now, would would you take it how you left it maybe i wrote that down wrong um but on spotify it's their second most popular song and paula cole has a songwriting credit on it interesting yeah according to a 2017 genius interview where they explained the song um 
they, she agreed to it like right away. It's a good song. I highly recommend it. It's a good song, right? Yeah, that's fun. That's yeah. a fun fact. Mm-hmm. I'm full of them. <laughs> uh, Charles and I do love our fun facts that are not fun to anyone else around us, but but us. <laughs> hey, Paula Cole's been done dirty by life. She um, deserves some fun. Yeah, and like it's a great song, and it's good that she has a songwriting credit on it. Everyone go check out Dante's Creek. Hashtag not spawn. <laughs> uh, speaking of things oh, we're here oh, for. Oh, what? sorry. Um, there's one tertiary fact that I forgot about. The label that they are signed to, owned by Sony. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Sony, you want to answer Paula Cole's uh, request about giving her her song back? <laughs> yeah, for those of you who don't know, Paula Cole previously also signed to Sony. Hmm. But, like, you know, the music industry is complicated with all, like, the labels and the sub-labels and the imprints. I, I mean, it. Sony is the production company behind Dawson's Creek as well, so... Um, Anyways. Re- remake? <laughs> Speaking of things we're into, if you didn't already see this, uh, on Instagram, Joshua Jackson posted a split, uh, like, a side-by-side <laughs> screenshot, one of him from The Affair, uh, and then a picture of... James Vanderbeek as Dawson in 323 crying, the infamous Dawson crying face. And the photo of Joshua Jackson from The Affair is also like this like dramatic cry face. And he yeah. basically is like, coming for your crown at Vander James. And James <laughs> Vanderbeek respo- responded and was like, bring it. Um, so that made headlines and was kind of fun. We'll post a link to that if you haven't seen it yet on our website, on the show notes for this week, DawsonSpeak.com. Um, and if you want to get in touch with us, email, comment on our website, whatever, all the contact information on DawsonSpeak.com. You can email us. You can tweet us. You can call us, even though no one has ever called us, but that's an <laughs> option for you. Uh, anyways, let's just get into it, Charles. All right. Let's get into 403, Two Gentlemen of Cape Side. Before we talk about what that reference is, let's play the promo that you and I have already discussed. In every life. In every love, there are moments that define our character and test our strength. We've not seen a storm like this. It's really getting out there. Listen, they're out there. What if this gets worse? It's not going to get any worse. Dawson, Joey, are you still there? The episode that should not be missed. Dawson's Creek, The Storm, on the WB Wednesday night. Ooh, dramatic. Finally, a promo that's accurate to the episode. Yes, although the first couple of scenes of that promo, um, not from the episode, but that is neither here nor there, it was appropriately dramatic considering that the last two promos have basically been full of scenes from this episode. It's them on the boat, it's the screaming in the rain, it's, yeah. Um, Okay, so this episode is called Two Gentlemen of Cape Side, which is a reference to Two Gentlemen of Verona, 
Shakespeare play, which is also referenced in the show because the pre-credit scene is them in English class with a new English teacher. And they're talking about two gentlemen of Verona. Miss Lee. Yes. Maybe you could tell me (laughs) what the two gentlemen of Verona is all about. All right, listen. This is... My this is my area of expertise. It is Dawson's Creek and it is Shakespeare. <laughs> Tracy loves Shakespeare. I'm pretty sure more than she loves Dawson's Creek. I am for those who don't know, a self described proud Shakespeare nerd. Weren't you like the I was a co president of my oh, okay. high school Shakespeare Society, which is our fancy way of saying club, uh, for two years in a row, my junior and senior year. Four year member. Um I, if for those of you who are familiar with the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, which takes place in Ashland every summer, um, went up there a bunch growing up. Like we would drive up to Ashland just to go to these Shakespeare festivals. Yep. I'm a huge Shakespeare fan to the point where when I knew this episode was coming up, I pulled out all of the Shakespeare books I have with me. And it's not my entire collection. It's just what I have with me in my apartment. She has quite a few books. I have quite a few, including a Shakespeare for Dummies guide, just to refresh my mind, because I was thinking about Two Gentlemen of Rhoda, and I'm like, I know this play, but I don't, it's not the one that I, like, know off the top of my head. I don't, I can't quote from it. I I don't remember a lot of the nitty gritty details. I just remember it being kind of like the beginnings of a lot of Shakespeare's other plays, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, quick summary on Two Gentlemen uh-huh. of Rhoda. It is essentially about two best friends who fall in love with the mm. same girl, right? Mm. But it's a little more complicated than that. It is for everyone who is just like, oh my God, I don't, I want to talk about Dawson's Creek. Why are we talking about Shakespeare? I just want to be able to share my Shakespeare knowledge. All right. So there's two friends, Valentine and Proteus, AKA Dawson and Pacey. Mm-hmm. Um, they are in love with the same woman. Her name is Julia. Mm. Um. Well, it's like Valentine has a thing for Julia, but then Proteus is like, I have a thing for Julia. Valentine then leaves for Milan because he's like, okay. I'm going to go out to explore the wide world. Uh, leaves for Milan while Proteus and Julia are like courting still. Julia gives Proteus a ring and is like, we're going to get married someday. Proteus ends up going off to Milan as well eventually. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Valentine gets to Milan falls in love with Sylvia, the Duke's daughter. And then Proteus shows up and also falls in love with Sylvia, even though he's oh my- actually in love with Julia, but whatever. So Valentine and Proteus are in Milan now, both in love with the same woman, whereas they had been in love with <laughs> a different woman before. Anyways, wow. actually, no, Valentine may not have been in love with Julia. It might have just been Proteus. Anyways, they, f- they both fall in love with Sylvia uh-huh. The Duke becomes suspicious that Sylvia loves Valentine and locks her in a tower every night so that she can't be with him. Okay. So Valentine is like, I'm going to free her. I'm going to climb up there with this ladder. I'm going to free her. And then we're going to run away together. And Proteus is like, okay, go do that. And then that night when Valentine's going to do it, Proteus goes to the Duke and is like, hey, Valentine's going to steal your daughter. Whoa. So then the Duke goes and catches Valentine and banishes him from Milan. Valentine gets banished, goes out into the woods where he runs into a group of outlaws who ambush him. Uh-huh. And then they end up kind of falling in together because the outlaws are like, what did you do to get banished? And Valentine's like, oh, I killed somebody. And then the outlaws are like, oh, that's cool. You're our new leader. So basically he becomes the leader of these outlaws. 
my god. <laughs> Meanwhile, Julia, who's back, you know, wherever they started, decides yes. to go after Proteus, but woman can't travel alone, blah, blah, blah. She dresses up as a boy. Okay. To go off to Milan to find Proteus, where she ends up running. As happens often in Shakespeare. <laughs> she runs into Proteus. She's she's disguised as like a as a page, basically. Uh-huh. And ends up becoming like um Proteus's not not a servant, but like his page, his assistant. Like a his, squire. Yeah. Whatever. Um but as this happens, Proteus starts sending boy Julia to go woo Sylvia for oh, him. No. Because Proteus is like, Oh, now I got rid of Valentine. And so to the point where, like, Proteus is giving gifts to Sylvia, including the ring that Julia had given to him. <gasps> but then while Julia is courting Sylvia for Proteus, Julia finds out that Sil- that Sylvia actually is in lo- love with Valentine, does not care about Proteus. Um, Sylvia then ends up running away to find Valentine. She gets captured by the outlaws, but Proteus and boy Julia run after it and save her. Sylvia doesn't want to be saved, so Proteus threatens to rape her. <laughs> Oh, dear. And then Valentine swoops in to save the day, tells off Proteus. They argue, but then they make up, and Valentine then offers Sylvia to Proteus, which is like, don't offer other human beings to people. But okay, boy Julia gets overwhelmed, faints, reveals himself to actually be Julia. Proteus then realizes he actually loves Julia. It's like, oops. (laughs) Um, Shenanigans happen, a big reveal. Uh, Valentine saves the Duke's life, realizes that Valentine and Sylvia are in love. So the Duke pardons Valentine and all of the outlaws, lets them come back to Milan. Valentine and Sylvia get married. Proteus and Julia get married. Everyone lives happily ever after. Nobody gets raped. The end. I I thought Dawson's Creek was convoluted. <laughs> so, okay. In my Shakespeare pop-up book, um, in the section on Two Gentlemen of Verona, so every, in the Shakespeare pop-up book, every single play is given a quote-unquote long story short, which is just like a one-sentence summary. And the one sentence summary of Two Gentlemen of Rhoda is falling in love with your best friend's girlfriend is a bad idea, which is Appa- apparently. <laughs> yeah. Um, I take it back. I don't think Valentine was in love with Julia, but that is neither here nor there. Basically, it's a very confusing play. It is widely considered to be one of Shakespeare's weakest plays. Um, it is also one of his earliest plays. And so you can mm. see a lot of characters and tropes that get sort of um, expanded on and written out better uh, in Romeo and Juliet, in Twelfth Night, and As You Like It. Um, lots of these different kinds of, uh, like I said, characters and tropes. So, yeah, that's Two Gentlemen of Verona. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's not just so much two people falling in love with the same girl. It's a lot of shittiness happening, really. Yeah. So, in some ways, you could maybe be like, oh, is... Andy actually Julia like what's the parallel here I think that they just wanted to reference a Shakespeare play and are like what's a Shakespeare play about two best friends falling in love with the same girl it is two gentlemen of Rhoda even though it's a terrible play and it is really only a known noun because it has a great monologue about a dog oh the end <laughs> I do love dogs all right so that's two gentlemen of Rhoda <laughs> IMDb do you have any questions about two gentlemen of Rhoda um... And so Sylvia is Joey in this case. Yes. Okay. And Valentine is Dawson and Proteus is Pacey. Yes. Okay. At least that's how I think the show is trying to present it as because it's like Valentine and Sylvia are soulmates. Yes. Proteus is the one who came in to like F things up. 
Yeah, and then Proteus betrayed Valentine. Yeah, like by how Dawson feels yeah. he is betrayed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by Pacey. Okay, and eventually the two like do come to terms. Like Valentine and Proteus come to terms in the forest, but then when they come to terms, like that's when Valentine offers Sylvia to Proteus, and that's what gets a little bit weird. <laughs> uh, yeah. So does that mean Joey loves Dawson? You can read into it what you will. Hmm. Okay. The IMDb fan submitted anonymously written summary. Pacey, enlightened by getting good grades, decides to take a sail on his boat and takes Jen with him for company. Meanwhile, Andy has an interview with Drew's mother for a college acceptance, but her medical records get in her way in which the egotistical and snobbish Mrs. Valentine worries about Andy's mental stability and outright denies her the spot. Everyone's plans change when a big storm rolls into Cape Side, trapping Pacey and Jen at sea, where Dawson and Joey steal a motorboat owned by a cranky old resident to rescue them, while Andy takes control of the situation at the yacht club to wait out the storm. At sea, Jen and Pacey admit to each other their biggest regrets in life. Jen regrets never being in love, despite her feelings for Henry. Pacey regrets the destruction of his friendship with Dawson. That's accurate, but they skip over the whole school assignment part. I think that's like the least important part of the play. <laughs> well, it it it's, it provides you the reason why Pacey and Dawson, not Pacey and Dawson, Dawson and Joe are hanging out. Right. So as this episode begins, they're debating over two gentlemen of Verona in English class. Yeah. Drew is being a little snot and playing with Joey's hair like he's a third grader. <laughs> Dawson is um, Dawson is basically defending... I'd say the Valentine point of view of like it's the best friend's fault because he's attributing this to or he's you know basically to him this is an analogy for his own life right yeah. now yeah and Joey is kind of arguing about like how it's not all Proteus's fault or, or whomever yeah so they're having a bit of a debate and the English teacher assigns them uh, an extra assignment being like, okay, we're going to debate this in class tomorrow. Although I guess that means they have to work on their presentation together, even though it's a debate. I don't quite yeah. understand that. Um, so they decide to work at the yacht club because uh, Joey has to work. Mm-hmm. So Dawson says, okay, I'll meet you at the yacht club. Um, meanwhile, Pacey is super happy because he got a good grade. His first A ever. Is it his first A ever? I thought he got A's when he was with Andy. Me too. Maybe he meant in like that class, but he said first A. So he wants to celebrate. He wants to go out sailing. Joey's like, I can't. Got this assignment. And so Jen decides to go with him. Um, and that's kind of where you set up the shenanigans that will occur. Uh, this storm scene is more reminiscent of Shakespeare's The Tempest, but okay. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, you set up all the threads and then a tempest happens. A tempest happens. Shall we break this down by storyline? Yes. The A storyline is the love triangle and Pacey and Dawson's friendship. So Dawson and Pacey at this point have not spoken at all, right? Yeah. They like see each other in the hall, but they don't communicate. Um, Basically, the most communication that they've done is Dawson telling Joey about something about Pacey. Yeah. It's basically them just talking to Joey about each other. Pacey and I are not going to be friends again. End of story. And everybody seems to think that it's time we made up, but that's not going to happen. Well, since you did bring this up, why not? What's done is done. After 10 years of friendship, what's done is done? No, after the greatest betrayal of my life, what's done is done. Dawson, 
I was a part of that betrayal. Yes, and you apologized for it. You at least showed some sort of remorse for what happened. Pacey could care less, which is fine. It's just not the kind of person I'm going to race out and be friends with again. And it's time for everyone to just accept that reality and move on with their lives, starting with you and me talking about this play without referencing them. Which is impossible because this play <laughs> is basically their lives without all of the yeah. terrible stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, at this point, I mean, the entire beginning of the episode, everyone is talking about how great the weather is. Like, literally, everyone's like, oh, it's like the last nice day of the summer. And, you know, when you first see the inside of the kitchen of Graham's house, there's like a fan going on, meaning that it's hot outside. Like, everyone's talking about how great the weather is, so you know it's not going to be great. (laughs) Something's going to happen. There's not a cloud in the sky. Everyone keeps talking about the damn weather. You know who knew something was going to happen? Graham's knew, because Graham's is smart. Graham's read the farmer's almanac. That's how she knew. Yeah, it was a red letter day. Yep, yep. Um, So... Dawson and Joey are working on this assignment at the Yacht Club. Joey says yep. it's usually quiet on, like, whatever day it is. It's just um, Mr. Brooks comes in for his... Prime rib special. Yeah. Mr. Brooks, by the mm-hmm. way, a new character. Like, a recurring yes. character? Yes. This what? is not the only episode we see Arthur Brooks in. Uh, Arthur Brooks, played by the late Harv Presnell, who is a Golden Globe winning actor. He's also been on Broadway quite a bit. Uh, he passed away in 2009, though. But yes, he is a recurring character on Dawson's Creek. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what do you think about Mr. Brooks? I have a lot of feelings about Mr. Brooks that I'll, uh, some of which I'll discuss at the end. But to me, right now, he seems like a guy who likes his prime rib, which I'm fine with. <laughs> because you are did- also somebody who likes prime rib, so you can identify. Did he? Take his boat from his house to the yacht club? I think so, yeah. I guess that's a thing you can do when you live in a city like Cape Sand. Well, we've seen people boating around everywhere, so. Yeah, I mean, hello, that's how Joey and Dawson get to each other's house pretty quickly. Like, the quickest way to get places sometimes is just right across the river. Yeah. The creek. The creek, yeah. Yeah, so Mr. Brooks is having his prime rib special. They do harp up that he's, like, lonely and, like alone oh, and he has no family we will friends. get to the great grams burn at the end of this episode <laughs> later but yes um so the yacht club is fairly empty for this afternoon slash evening yeah uh, it's really just joey dawson working on this project drew watching baywatch supposed to be working on this project and then mrs valentine interviewing andy which we will talk about later but a storm occurs <laughs> Yeah. A storm quickly comes, the like worst storm of the whatever. Worse than hurricane force winds. Yeah. Uh worse than thirty years. It's just gonna sit there. It is dramatic. It is very dramatic, and as the Coast Guard takes stock of the boats that are out, the three boats that are gone that they're pulling back to land, Joey's like, What about the true love? But the thing about and we learned this during the um summer diaries is that yep. Pacey never paid for like a slip to dock yeah. the true love because they didn't have the money for it. So he always just went where there was an empty spot and just hoped yeah, that he, like he wouldn't get in trouble. He he parked his boat where he thought he could get away with it. Right. And so, you know, the true love wasn't registered anywhere really specifically for them to notice that the boat was missing. Yeah. Um, Pacey and Jenner out there talking about life. And I actually really enjoyed seeing 
like the Pacey Jen friendship again. Same. One of the things that we really hated about Pacey and Jen, like trying to hook up, was that it took away this like really good friendship they have because the beauty of their friendship is their like complete and brutal honesty with one another, and there was so little of that between the characters sometimes. Yeah. Uh, at least early on, that it's like, yay! I'm glad that they're friends and happy-ish. <laughs> they can grow with each other. Yes, exactly. They can grow with each other, and that's good. Yeah. Although, do you remember the last time there was like a near-death scenario? What happened between Jen and Pacey? They almost hooked up. Uh, uh, that's Which true. Island? Like, yeah. During the haunting. Yeah, during Which Island? Oh, gosh, maybe it's like the adrenaline kicks that get into them. Maybe. Hmm. I feel like Jen and Pacey on the boat, though, like in that situation, you know, it brings out their vulnerability, yeah. which is nice, right? Yeah, like it it definitely made uh, Jen analyze like herself a lot more, like it put her under the microscope. All right, well, I have a regret. I regret that I've never been in love. Well, what about Henry? Yeah, uh, that wasn't love. Couldn't have been. Yeah, my big regret is that we may drown before I ever know what love is. Jen, you're not going to drown. I, I don't need the comfort. Just don't get to say. I do have one regret. What? I regret the way that things are between me and Dawson right now. Have you ever thought about saying something? Ah! difference what it makes to say something it doesn't change any of our situations it might just feel good to say yeah so they're talking about their regrets as they're both convinced they're pretty much gonna die yep um because this is like a bad storm it's the worst in 30 years <laughs> and like the true love is not a big boat no no and i mean not that it wasn't a sturdy boat. Obviously, Pacey and Joey sailed it, you know, up and down the coast. But like, and it survived a hurricane before, sort of. Yeah, and actually, what's interesting is um, we know this because of Summer Diaries, where there's this part in the Summer Diaries. We'll link the Summer Diaries again on our show notes because um, we keep referencing them. But there's a part where Pacey is either writing like a letter or an email, or Joey is writing an email, and they both talk about the storm. Yeah. Um, that they were both really scared about. And Pacey kind of references, I think it's the same storm where he's like, I saw something like this off of the nag's head. Yeah. Um, this summer. And it was like a pretty bad storm, but he and Joey got through it. It's giving us a lot of evidence for these summer diaries as expanded, uh, extended canon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They just forgot that they went to Disney World too, but whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. So they're doing the whole like regrets thing. Well, Pacey didn't want to at first because he's like, I don't have any regrets. You could kind of see this is the continuing, um, w- the continuing way that the writers set up the difference between Dawson and Pacey. Yeah. Dawson being someone who reflects a lot, who thinks, who talks out everything. Pacey is like an act more, act before you speak kind of person. Yeah. And he's very guarded about his feelings and his thought process. Like you can even see it while he's trying to like prepare the boat for the storm and like try to get them out of trouble. Like he's always he's focusing on what he's doing and he's never like letting out any of the information he has running in his head yeah yeah but as the show will set up for us or this episode does is like despite the fact that dawson and pacey are sworn enemies right now 
at one point for quite a long time in their lives, they were best friends. You always know your best friend. Casey! If it gets any worse, they'll send someone for us. We have no radio and we're heading for a call that you don't know the name of. Who the hell is going to find us there? Dawson. Dawson will know. And Dawson did know. He knew immediately as soon as he looked at the map that cove he's like pacey and i waited out a storm there when we were kids once that's where pacey's gonna go i teared up at that dawson scene that like dawson will uh will know yeah i i cried oh why did you cry walk us through your emotions charles uh male friendships are so like screwed up especially this male friendship and for so long they've been like oh we're never going to be friends again. Like, Pacey hasn't made the effort to, like, say I'm sorry or even communicate with Dawson. Dawson, like, even earlier in this episode, is straight up, like, everyone thinks we're going to be friends again, but we're never going to be friends again. And despite both of them, like, feeling like that, not just one of them, but both of them feel that very strongly, they still care for each other. And that's so, like, sweet and nice. It's also really sad. I don't know. I think this is the thing that I don't want to say is polarizing for a lot of people, but I think it's a big frustrating when you think about like, at the end of the day, the thing that they're fighting over is a girl. And that sucks to be set up as the girl who is in the middle of that love triangle. Well, like, yeah, it's the girl, but oh my God, we're going to have the same discussion that Dawson and Joey had (laughs) in the uh, pre-scene. Like, they're fighting over a girl, but like, I think what's gotten Dawson the most, or at, le- at least like now that he has more control over his emotions and he's like thought about it, I think the betrayal is like the most egregious part of what Pacey has done. And also, I think he's particularly hurt that Pacey has apparently made no effort to do anything about it. I mean, so let's let's talk through this story real quickly. They, yeah, uh, Dawson and Joey take Mr. Brooks' boat yes. and go out are able to find the true love they take jen and then dawson reaches out for pace's hand and pace says, i'm not leaving my boat Mm. um dawson jumps over to the true love and basically is like get onto our boat like what are you doing um it's super dramatic pacey's just like i can't i can't leave this boat but eventually he catches joey's eye and eventually jumps over and they leave the true love uh, to to the seas. I think what is pivotal about that entire moment was like Dawson was like, there are people who care about you more than you care about this boat. Mm-hmm. And he was talking Especially. about Joey. So it's like this recognition yeah. of like their relationship. Yeah. Um, and not just being angry about it and not just being yeah. like, okay, bye, PC. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> Dawson still cares about both of them. And he cares about the fact that Joey loves Pacey, which I think is... Like Mitch and Gail point out at the end, like at the end of the day, you know, you saved his life. Like, that's mm-hmm. what matters. Also very sweet uh, was when Dawson was going to go out and try to find Pacey. And she was like, I can't worry for the both of you. Yeah. I like I almost cried again uh, that time. And I think that got into Dawson's head about how like joey's feelings are real and like strong for both of them you're right it is the betrayal is is runs a lot deeper and that doesn't necessarily erase the like affection or the love that existed before yeah which is what makes this also very very sad 
I know that things between you and I are pretty much beyond repair right now. And I wouldn't presume to be able to solve everything with a conversation, because that's just not the way it works. But I've been wanting to tell you that I'm sorry, Dawson. I'm really sorry for the way everything went down this spring, for my part in it, for the pain that it must have caused you. And I'm really sorry that I ruined our friendship because I miss it badly. And uh, however far off it may be, I do look forward to the day when you and I might be friends again. So until then, until then. Not like now, now that Pacey has managed to say I'm sorry, I feel like their their friendship will start repairing itself on the quicker side. Is that your prediction? <laughs> yeah, it is my prediction. All right. Um, and I feel like in this case, I am backed up by the text of this episode. Because, uh, like, saying sorry and apologizing is a big theme in this episode, right? Like, when when they're going to die, Jen is like, well, maybe you should have said sorry to Dawson. Um, and even, what what's that old crotchety guy's Mr. name? Mr. Brooks. Again? Yeah, Mr. Brooks. Um, when, like, when the storm's over and everyone's safe and he's looking over his boat and there's a gash in his boat. Uh, Dawson apologizes. Dawson is like, oh, uh, I'm sorry. And then Mr. Brooks is, Brooks is like, sorry, sorry's not enough. Sorry, yada, 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 yada. Mr. Brooks impression. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think, um, the meaning I took out of this episode, and this might be me overreaching a little bit, but like, Mr. Brooks is represented as this like a horrible dude who like the only thing he has to do on a tuesday is go to this yacht club where no one is today and like eat some prime rib and no one loves him and he doesn't like he doesn't care about saying sorry or people saying sorry to him whereas like pacey at the beginning of the episode like also didn't care too much about like articulating his feelings and like saying sorry or like seeing the importance of apologizing. But by the end of the episode, he's like, I'm he gives a very heartfelt, like true apology. I think what's interesting is that when you think about Pacey, Mm -hmm. like the Pacey that I think everyone knows that it took Dawson a long time to see is this Pacey who is very genuine in his affection and his words and very thoughtful in his actions when he really loves somebody. Yeah. Um, that version of Pacey has never been the version of Pacey we see with Dawson, with the exception of um, Neverland when they go camping. Mm. Like we don't see a lot of like bro moments between them that are like the, the on that level, you know? Yeah the the way they relate to each other is a very like classical like kind of toxic masculinity kind of way of like being male friends of each other mm-hmm. that like prevents you from communicating emotion. Yeah. So I think that that apology is like. I, it's one of those things where I think Dawson was shocked to get that apology because it's it's yeah he never thought he would get that apology so he didn't hope for yeah. it he kind of gave in order for him to move on and to be like okay with the way things were even if it still upset him and it still leaves this kind of like hole in his life without having 
the friends that he used to have and have things the way they were, the only way for him to really move forward over the summer was to let go of the fact that he would ever receive an apology from Pacey. Yeah, like Pacey had to be evil, basically. Yeah, and then to finally get that, it's like, what are you supposed to do with it now? For for Dawson, it's not like that's going to make everything okay because he had let go of wanting and needing an apology for it to be okay. That it's just like a thing that happened. Okay, like that's out there in the open. We'll see where it goes from there. And I think that that's actually really interesting because it's like, what do you do when you don't ex- you get the thing you, you're not expecting? Yeah, it kind of like shatters the reality that he constructed where like Pacey is the ultimate villain and um, it's never going to be fixed and this is going to be the way things are and I'll move on from But here. I also think deep down Dawson always knew that Pacey wasn't evil. Like yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah, give Dawson that credit in that he never believed that Pacey did it to spite him entirely like pacey falling in love with joey like a bad side effect of it was that it deeply hurt dawson yeah and i think dawson always knew that but it was easier to be angry at pacey than to try to find a way to like forgive especially when he loved joey so much and the reality that i don't think dawson wanted to face is like joey is going to choose pacey over me so it was easier Mm. for him to be angry at pacey Mm, that makes sense Um, last thing I want to say about this uh, storm scenario is <laughs> I wrote in my notes, wow, the artful Dodger, which is Mr. Brooks' boat, survived the storm and Dawson. <laughs> All right. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, wow. Dawson's bad at yeah, boats. Yeah, Dawson and boats are know. a bad combo. We've seen this twice. <laughs> C- canonically, we know that he's a bad sailor, that he's crashed his dad's boat, like, he damages boats more often when we see him success than we see him successfully pilot them. Yeah, well, here's the thing. When have we seen Dawson on a boat? We saw him um, crash Mitch's boat. We yep. saw him on that fishing trip, but he wasn't having to steer the boat or anything. He was just fishing on it. Yep. And then we saw him in the um, regatta gala, and it was awful. <laughs> yeah. The only time Dawson has successfully piloted a boat is when he's, like, rowing a boat with his hands. Yeah. And here we are, he's going out in the worst storm in 30 years with a stranger's boat, and he manages to save the day. <laughs> I feel like Dawson saving the day, just to skip forward here, automatically puts him like in first place to win this episode. <laughs> I'm going to have a hard time finding arguments against that. Well, let's talk about our B storyline, which may, um, may also give us a really good contender. Let's talk about Andy. And what she's up to. So Andy is going to do a college interview, college yeah. uh, application interview, if you will, yeah. with Mrs. Valentine, who is on, who is an alumnus of Andy's backup school, essentially, right? She says it's her backup yeah. school. And this interview, you know, an alum is supposed to talk with a prospective student and give a recommendation mm-hmm. to um, whatever it's called. What is it called? Application uh, review? Admissions Admission department. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. To the admissions group. Um, Mrs. Valentine happens to be the person that is assigned to Andy. Uh, before uh, Andy goes, though, however, this this made me laugh so much. Hey, wait, Jack, Jack, come here. What? So, up like this or down? Don't ask me hair questions. Jack is great at hair questions. What he's what's he talking about? I know Jack made a very good decision to become up to Jack, and it changed his life. <laughs> <sighs> so. Uh... Andy is uh, anxiously heading off to this interview, and they kind of, do they kind of shoehorn this in? They kind of shoehorn this in. You okay? Yeah, yeah, I, I just got a little dizzy, that's all. <laughs> here, want to, uh, here, sit down. Yeah. 
That uh, new drug you started, isn't it? Yeah, Nardal. Um, yeah, it's it's actually working pretty well, better than anything else I've tried. I know this is preventative, but are you sure you're okay with it? It, it is a little scary, but it's just like Dr. Newman said: in times of high stress, can't hurt to have an extra line of defense. They're like, oh yeah, Andy's still dealing with mental health issues. Yeah, and, like the thing is. The, that specific, like, drug interaction or, like, her changing medication isn't super relevant to the rest of the episode. It's not like um, Mrs. Valentine's like, oh, what's that medicine you're taking right now? They just wanted to remind you that, like, oh, yeah, she's still dealing with this. Yeah. Because I think what I... they wanted... Okay, if they had taken that part out, I don't think it would have changed anything. But I think, at least what I'd like to think the writers are trying to do is be like, it's not like Andy went through this thing got treatment and is now fully recovered like she's supposed to still be i mean she even says it at one point like she is still dealing with this and it's taught her so much so the the writers didn't want to be like oh mental health is a thing that you can completely cure with one treatment or something as mr mcphee said the doctors like to remind you you're never completely out of the woods yep uh you're never out of the woods and it gets it can get worse when you encounter some bears. Well, let's see. You worked on the yearbook, the newspaper. You directed a play. Yes, <laughs> Barefoot in the Park by Neil Simon. It was completely pre-feminist, but it held up surprisingly well. We took sort of a... I see only one red flag here. At the end of your sophomore year, you took a medical leave of absence. Yes, I did. Um, but I was able to make up my finals, and none of my grades suffered. Nothing serious, I hope. Your illness? I I was having some emotional problems. Emotional problems? So this was a mental illness. First off, some practical advice. Never offer people more information than you need to offer them. Um, Especially in the U.S. Medical privacy laws are very, 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 very strong. Andy could have just lied about what she took a medical leave for. She could have, but aren't you the one always being like, well, people should always tell the truth. (laughs) Yeah, but like we've seen in her character that she's okay with lying to Mrs. Valentine um, as evidenced by her telling Joey that it's okay to lie to Mrs. Valentine during the uh, job interview. And guess what? This is just another interview. I understand that like an alumni interview for a college application is a stressful situation um and like it's not andy's fault but if our listeners are ever in a situation like this you can just say oh no it wasn't serious at all or stop talking there (laughs) yeah that's true i mean i think i like to think in this like crazy progressive way dawson's creek was trying to be like let's normalize talking about mental health issues and not be ashamed of it and we shouldn't hide it andy does make a very good case for why uh why her leave of absence was educational and instructive and good for her but what about your illness isn't that a weakness no actually i consider it a strength it taught me the importance of being able to ask for help when something's too tough to handle on your own we seem to keep coming back to this topic don't we is that a problem no not at all in fact most teenagers go through similar experiences it's nothing to be ashamed of It's just that I prefer to concentrate on the present and the future. It's just one part of my life. It does not define me as a person. Well, although I'm sure you consider yourself recovered, perhaps someone with your background would do better in a less competitive environment. 
Less competitive? Perhaps a state school. So you want to disregard all of my accomplishments and achievements because I had a problem in the past? Annie, try and understand the position you've put me in. I've been given the task of judging your ability to handle the ardent pressures of one of the most difficult collegiate environments in the country. My name is on the line. You know what? You're right. My background does have a bearing on my ability to handle pressure. I had a problem. I recognized that, sought treatment, and recovered. And the fact that I had the courage to face my problems and get help, I think only makes me better prepared to face the pressures of college than most of my peers. You go, Andy. She interviews so well. I mean, she. this is a reason why she is um, academically tops in class. Yeah. So Andy has this pretty disastrous interview. Of course, as they're interviewing, the storm comes upon Cape Side. And as she's about to leave, Jack, who was supposed to pick her up, runs in and is like, did you guys not see what's happening outside? Like, it's a mess out there. It's a huge storm. Um, and, you know, the windows start shattering. It starts getting really dangerous, very precarious situation. And what does Mrs. Valentine do? She, like, does nothing. <laughs> Freaks out. She panics. She loses control of the situation. You know who doesn't, though? Okay, um... Um, Jack, look, I'm going to go to the marina office and try and get in contact with them. Uh, you, uh, board up the windows. If you can't find any boards, then just shove some tables up against them, okay? Yeah, you, got it. you can't just move the table. Now watch me. Yeah, do you have any other suggestions on how to keep the storm out? No, I didn't think so. Um, okay, you're right. 555 555-0134. 555-0130. That's Dawson Leary's parents, Jen Lindley's grandmother. Call them, reassure them. Can you do that? Yes, yes, okay. I can do that. Um, Mr. Brooks. I need you to come with me. I'm going to need your boat's frequency if I'm going to be able to get in contact with Dawson and Joey, okay? Okay, and uh, you, you know what? Why don't you find a broom or a mop or something and sweep up the glass? Wait, you want me to sweep? What do I look like to you, huh? You know what you look like? A boy with nothing productive to do. Now find a broom. Yay, Andy. <laughs> I love this Andy. She's so great. This Andy is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is the Andy that we've been missing. This is the Andy we've been yeah. looking for. Yeah. And this Andy uh, redeems herself in the eyes of Mrs. Valentine, too. The university will be very interested in hearing my impressions of you. I'm also pretty sure the university will be very interested in hearing what a bitch they have representing them. Yeah, I I'm terribly sorry, but please try to understand the position you've now put me in. You wouldn't dare. No, you know what? I wouldn't. Because at the end of the day, Mrs. Valentine, I'm nothing like you. I don't derive any pleasure in wielding whatever little power I have over others. So, you know what? Just give me the recommendation that you see fit. Because if anyone at that university knows you half as well as I've gotten to know you, it's not going to count for much anyway. I watched that scene and I have two feelings. One of them is like, oh yeah, go Jack, go Andy. And the other one was just like, shut up. Like, <laughs> just shut up. Wait, shut up to who? <laughs> to Andy and Jack. Just take the good recommendation. You're winning now. I know, because the flip side of this is that everyone at the university is also awful. Like, someone picked Mrs. Valentine to be the alumni interviewer. Yeah. They wouldn't pick her if they didn't trust her opinion. Well, this is just Andy's back of school anyway, so whatever. Yeah. 
But what, what this has done for Andy, though, has shown her that, like, or has given her kind of her strength back, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Setting her up for a great season. Mm. Yes. Yes, it is. You know what I wish she had said this episode? Like, I just wish she had told Mrs. Valentine that this was her backup school. <laughs> like, just just out of, like, anger or frustration. Like, it may not have been good for her case, but it would have been, like, a good, oh, I'm winning moment. Oh, yeah, because... um. Mrs. Valentine at one point is going on and on about how like uh, prestigious this university is and how they can't like take chances on someone like Andy. Yeah. And I'm sure Andy's sitting here like, bitch, I don't really want to go to your school. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you think that this is Andy's storyline? Like now they're getting her back on this like academic overachiever kind of storyline. Cause for the past couple of episodes, she's just been like boy crazy. It would be nice. And like, you know, Dawson's Creek is a show about high school and it's a it's their senior year of high school. A getting into college storyline is a perfectly fine storyline to go mm. with. That your prediction? Yes, that's my prediction. Um. All right. Uh. And now for the C storyline is plural. Mm. Well, it, basically, I think the C storylines are having to do with Jen. So this is not the Jen Pacey regret boat stuff that they were talking about. Although we didn't even dive into the fact that Jen admits that she was not in love with Henry. Tracy, what is love? What is love? Oh boy! <laughs> According to Shakespeare, no, I'm not gonna do that. Um, I feel like you know, you know, love can be a lot of different things, and it can mean a lot of different things, like depending on what age you are. And I would say, like, Jen had a kind of love with Henry, like that. She, it, it was like an entirely new experience to her, um, and it like did something for her, and it changed her as a person. I feel like she, she may have been in some type of love with Henry, but like. It was know. not true love. Yeah. Oh, God, what is even true love? I think the kind of love she had with Henry was very much the kind that you have when you're like, you know, when you playground marry somebody, right? Yeah. It's It's puppy love. It's play love. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the kind of love that she hasn't gotten. Yeah. There's not a lot of depth to it. Um, and, you know, for all we saw of Henry and Jen's relationship... Like you pointed out last season, it was just a lot of like trauma. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I I feel like she experienced some type of love with Henry, but it's it wasn't it wasn't gonna ever gonna last forever, as we could tell. And it wasn't like ultimate love or like a love you could build a relationship on, but it was still real. It wasn't a mature kind of love. No, it was not. It was a very juvenile kind yeah. of love. Um, so Jen is still kind of going through the phases of this breakup because this yeah. just happened in the last episode um that henry yeah. awfully broke up with her through jack via email which Ugh. you know um so she's still experiencing these different phases and is not really moping but is like in the quote-unquote pissed off stage right yeah because she's mad those songs you listen to only exacerbate your sadness well then you're missing the point because i'm not sad no, I've moved on from said. I am currently in the thick of pissed off. Good. Then you'll recognize my attitude if you pull this routine one more time. So Grams is back in full force, more so than just like the one scene we've seen her in the last two episodes. Grams is there to basically ensure that Jen does not fall off the face of the earth. <laughs> yeah, she cares about how Jen does in school and in life. Fall term of your senior year is very important. <laughs> fall term. Yes, fall term. Um... It's funny, as I was watching this episode and we got to the end, ugh. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the scene that made me cry? Oh, I 
didn't think I was ever going to see you again. It's okay. It's okay. No. No, it's not okay. All night, most of my thoughts were about what I was going to tell your mother. Well, you handled this much better than my mother ever would have. I have never lost myself like this before. All my talk of faith and when I needed it most, I had none. That's because you lent it to me. Listen, I was terrified out there tonight. But I still had hope, you know? So I figured that I must have gotten that from somebody. Mm -hmm. Here, I got it. I got it. Come on. <laughs> uh. Does that mean I can count on you for church on Sunday? Not unless you want that place to fall down. I loved this Jen Graham's storyline in this episode. Like, I, like uh, there are a lot of things I love about this episode. Spoiler alert. I love this episode. But this okay. storyline specifically, it was small. Obviously, it's not, like, a major part of it. But I think it's so... I mean, we, we've talked a lot about the evolution of the relationship between Grams and Jen already. But I think this episode kind of... I, I think that scene kind of sums it all up, right? Like... Mm-hmm. I, I do this a lot where I'm like think back to this one episode and like you know compare and contrast or whatever but think back to the season finale of season one when Grams died even through that whole ordeal like Grams was still very much a believer she still had faith that like everything was happening for a reason mm-hmm. and you know she goes to the church immediately after to pray and that's where Jed shows up and it's like very, very emotional. But at the same time, like even though they're leaning on each other and like crying with one another, like in a lot of these situations, you didn't see Grams and Jen going to each other or you didn't see Grams going to Jen at least. Mm. Like hurricane, like all these different things that were happening, right? Like you rarely ever saw Grams kind of going to Jen, checking on Jen, whatever. Like, not that she didn't care, but, like, their relationship was just so different. Jen was stubborn, never wanted anyone's help, especially her grandmother. You know, Grams just wanted Jen to be a certain way because that's how Grams thought that she should be. Um, And so they just never really saw eye to eye with it. But for the first time, like, this idea of losing Jen to Grams, like, completely terrifies her. And she makes, like, no effort to even hide it. And I think that's so... It's just an emotional way to express how much the relationship has changed. Yeah. And I like it. Me me too. It's it's a really, like, strong moment. And we know... Like, we know how strong of a person Grams is. She's been in war. She's seen, like, soldiers in hospitals. Like, she buried her husband of 50 years. And, like, this is the most emotional we've ever seen her. Yeah. Yeah. And for her to even say, like... The first thing she, all she could think about all night was like, what am I going to tell your mother? It's so sad. Like, it's just so sad to also think about the fact that, like, they've moved on from being just, like, grandmother and granddaughter. Like, they, I don't want to say they're friends, but, like, they're the kind of family that lean on each other in a way that I don't think Jen has ever had someone like that before. And to some extent, you know, we don't know much about Graham's and Graham's relationship, but, like, for the longest time, Graham's being in Cape Side away from 
her daughter, like not really talking with her much or anything, like just didn't have that kind of mother-daughter relationship. Jen's kind of like the daughter she didn't yeah. know she could have. Oh, that's so sweet. I know. And then, of course, uh, another great Grams moment. Well, the gash is still there, and sorry isn't going to fix it. What else did you have in mind besides feckless regrets? I have some money from the summer that I was saving for college. Which is exactly what you will keep on doing. That boat is a thing, a replaceable thing. This young man risked his life to save my granddaughter. And the fact that you can't appreciate his courage explains to me why you've lived all alone all these years in that godforsaken house. And if I find out that you let him dip into his college fund, I will personally kick your shriveled old butt. Grams will do it too. She'll <laughs> kick you in the shriveled old butt. Ah, oh, so good. I also think that that actually says a lot about Mr. Brooks too, like what Graham says about him. Because you kind of talk about this uh-huh. earlier where you're like, you know, Mr. Brooks is the kind of person who has nothing better to do but, like, eat the same dinner every single week at this yacht club and, like, it's just grumpy yeah. and crotchety. And maybe it's because I've seen the series before already. Uh-huh. But I think that that line itself, not knowing anything about Mr. Brooks, like, think about it. He lives alone. He's a recluse. Yeah. But, like, and he has his patterns and routines and all these things typically when people are like that like there's got to be an underlying reason right mm-hmm. <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> i'm gonna make a prediction that grams and mr brooks have a relationship i don't know <laughs> okay <laughs> but think about it think about what people said about grams before yeah. jen moved in oh. she was like the mean church lady who like never smiled and was like and and or whatever. But of course, when you get to know Grams, like she's dealing with the fact that her husband of 50 years is essentially in a coma. Um, She doesn't have a relationship with her daughter. You know, all she has is her faith to lean on, but sometimes it's not enough for her as we see in this episode. So people have layers. Now, now she has Jim. Everything. Oh God, this is so sweet. Yes. Okay, I've played like a million clips. I basically played the entire episode. <laughs> it's a good episode. It is a good episode. Um, any other thoughts about this episode? Did we talk about everything? Uh, ooh, we we talked about whoa, Jen and oh, Drew. No, yeah, okay. Like, there's not too much about this one. No. So basically, at the end, Jen goes into the yacht club to get Graham's car keys because Graham's left them there. Runs into Drew Valentine. Drew says, "Jen Lindley, the girl who set New York on fire." They know each other. Were you shocked? Oh, yeah. No, that caught me. That really caught me by surprise. Um, but so does this mean like Drew is one of those assholey New York boys that Jen used to run with? That makes Maybe. sense. Maybe. He's kind of a jerk so far. <laughs> Maybe, but they do have a history. Uh, this does not bode well. <laughs> You'll find out. You will find out so that's all we know about that we're getting little bits little snippets here of drew valentine who he is um okay my other last thought is from the beginning of the episode during english mm. class in the background you could see that Sh- shaquille o'neal that reading poster <laughs> again yeah. that we've seen yeah. up around the school before so i'm glad that Shaq continues to make um his appearances speaking about the early 2000s i did do some research and uh this is like kind of nerdy, but this is the kind of prep I do for our episodes. HIPAA, the law I mentioned earlier, was fairly new in the year 2000. So maybe it's not Andy's fault that she 
well, I mean, it's not Andy's fault that she gave so much information, but maybe she wasn't even aware of the law. Then again, how many high schoolers know what HIPAA is? I feel like if anyone were to know, Andy would know. Particularly if you're yeah, somebody who true. deals with so many, like, medical-related medical things. things. Not just for herself, but for her mom. Yeah. It's interesting that on her school record, I mean, I guess they have to say that on her school records, that, like, she took a medical leave of absence. Yeah, because, like, she wasn't there, and she had to make up her finals. They yeah. have to note that somehow. Yeah. Um. Okay. Any other thoughts? The effects in this episode? Better than I expect from a TV show like this. You see a boat get tossed around in water a lot. You see lightning. You see, like, wind and storm. Yeah. I wonder how they filmed it. Like, the, the boat getting tossed around scenes, I'm pretty sure they used models. Some of the CGI, by modern standards, I mean, obviously it doesn't look great because it's been almost two decades, but by the year, like, 2000 and some change standards, must have looked great, right? Yeah. And I'm sure they like the, the up close the scenes up close that they were filming like now I don't know much with, about the studio uh, that they filmed in in um in Wilmington. The, these are the scenes that where Pacey and Jenner in the boat like, getting tossed around. It's, right? I'm specifically talking about the part where Dawson and Joey have arrived and are trying to save them because mm. like I mean yeah. you can't just film that in in a s- tiny studio right like. Yeah, that requires. I mean, there's a lot of camera movement to kind of mimic the idea that they're on out at sea, essentially. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know much about the studio and how they filmed it, but like, um, I know at at the Universal backlot, um, in LA, they do have like a giant, kind of like emptied out pool thing. It's huge that they would fill with water. There's a gigantic green screen that kind of surrounds the area. And they shoot a lot of things that are meant to look like out on the open sea. They shot um, the plane landing scene from Sully, the Tom Hanks film there. Um, shot a lot of stuff from Jaws there as well. So, like, it's possible, but you also need a ton of space. So I don't know how where they did that in Wilmington, but it's possible. I'm just curious about how they filmed it because it looked quite good for the year 2000. <laughs> it, it was well down. And even the, the scenes when uh, Jen and Pacey get knocked around in the boat, I was like, paying really close attention to like the background and stuff it wasn't just like camera movement alone like the set that they were working with also moved mm. like it, it it was a great job great practical effects great for the year 2000 and some cgi effects good, good production quality okay let's talk about who won this yeah. episode because i have i have something to say okay you know how mitch and gail are never on these polls they're in the poll for no, this episode? No, they're not. But you know who is? Oh. The weatherman. Oh, my God. He has zero votes, but you could vote for the weatherman. <laughs> He's like, he has like three seconds of screen time. Yeah, yeah. So with zero votes, you have the weatherman, the harbor master, Mr. Brooks, and Mrs. Valentine. Uh-huh. With one vote, you've got Drew. Two votes each, Joey, Jen, and Jack. Three votes each, Andy, Pacey, and Dawson. Who do you think won this episode? So we're basically narrowing it down to like either Andy won or either Dawson Yeah, I'm between uh, Dawson or Andy. I was going to say Dandy. There's their ship name. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good ship name. Um, Yeah. So do either of them start the episode better or end the episode better than they start it? Andy, arguably not really, right? Yeah, because, I mean, the thing that Andy wins at is that she stands up for herself and, like, tells off Miss Valentine whether that affects 
her application, we don't know. I feel like Dawson won. Yeah, I think so too. Like he he had his heroic moment. He's developing as a character, and he may get his best friend back. All right, let's vote for Dawson. Good for you, Dawson. Four for you, Dawson, Larry. All right, um, rating time. Let's talk about ratings uh, on IMDb. Out of 116 votes, this episode has an 8.1. So it is the highest rated of the season on IMDb. Really? And on TV.com, out of 110 votes, it has a 9.1, which is pretty high. Not the highest of the season, but pretty high. What do you give it? Interesting. I'm going to give this episode a 9. Okay. Is that not what you gave it? Nope. Oh, okay. Um... I, this is a good episode. I liked it a lot. Uh, from a production point of view, the the effects were really good. Like I believed everything. Often when you're watching like older TV shows or movies, right, the effects like don't hold up at all, and it removes you from the from um what's that term? Suspension of disbelief. Yes. <laughs> like it, it breaks your suspension of disbelief. I watched this episode and like nothing distracted me. Like the storm scenes didn't distract me. Like that was great. Also, this the storylines weren't overly complicated. I feel in in this episode, but they gave you a lot of like depth, um, and you saw a lot of character development out of Pacey and Dawson. Um, less so everyone else, but it was still good all around uh do i have anything else i want to say about it i also like enjoyed that i got to uh to riff off the character of mr brooks a little bit about how he's an old crotchety man that doesn't know how to say he's sorry and but now pacey knows how to say he's sorry so he's not going to become an old crotchety crotchety old man all right um that's a a good good solid rating which i'm okay Uh with giving it a nine on tv.com i was also going to give it a 9, but I bumped it up to a 9.5 ah. last minute because I thought more about the individual storylines and realized that I didn't see any flaws in any of them. Like, I really liked a lot of, like, every single storyline. Um, I thought they were all really strong, surprisingly strong for a third episode of the season. Yeah. Uh, I We should mention, like, very often the beginning – of the seasons for Dawson's Creek, not that great. This uh, this has been a really great beginning of the season. Yeah, it started off really really strong. Yeah. Um, although I think my like point f- minus point five here is because I feel like we got thrown into this episode too quickly. Like episodes one and two were not super strong. They were good, but yeah, this was just like everything all at once. This felt like <laughs> a like back half of season kind of episode did, did it, this episode feel like you were being thrown into the storm <laughs> yes yes it did um i was setting that up for you. <laughs> um yeah i i liked that we got so many different things out of this episode in terms yeah. of how relationships are developing where things might be going um new sort of like cliffhangers you've got the drew stuff you've got um, Andy talking more about her like mental health like what is that is that going to come back into play I do wish Jack still had a little bit more to do <laughs> oh Jack um, I like that they're slowly they're keeping Dawson's parents around because I think as shows about teens tend to progress and as the teens age you do see less of the parents yeah and 
I like that they're trying to keep Mitch and Gale around because I think that Mitch and Gale are still very important to Dawson's development. Definitely. Um. Yeah. So there's. I wish that Mrs. Valentine was a little less obviously villainous. <laughs> you Does, know. I I expect that she gets a redemption arc at some page, mm-hmm. or at some page, at some point, because like, she's a single mother, newly divorced, trying to take care of her like bratty teenager old son. You can empathize with her. Just she's not pulling it off really well right now. I'm happy to give this episode a nine point five on TV.com. That's okay. Good. We can give it a nine. Uh, Let's just go with a nine. Okay. Okay. The next episode, four oh four, is called Future Tense. Charles, what do you think Future Tense is about? Uh, um. Now at this point, you've made several predictions this episode. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, they're they're not direct predictions for next episode. They're for the season. I think this episode will continue to focus on Pacey's academic performance. And I think it'll have to do with, like, what he thinks his future will be. I think that's one of the main themes is that's going to be in this episode is Pacey's future. Okay. Um, I'll tell you three things about the episode. Uh, one, you'll see Gretchen again. Okay, okay. Um, well, you know that Gretchen sticks around for yeah. a bit. So, but Gretchen is in the next episode. Um, there is a party. Okay, okay. I feel good. Maybe the party's for Pacey's new- newfound good grades. And Jack is still playing football. What? <laughs> Those are three things I can tell you about the next episode. I thought I thought we left football behind. I thought so too, but I apparently forgot. <laughs> okay. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? This episode was a lot of fun. This season has been great. All right. Well, we will find out next week. Four hundred four future tense. Until then, you can email us dawsonspeakpod at gmail dot com. You can find us on all the socials at dawsonspeakpod. You can visit our website dawsonspeak dot com. Rate and review us. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Blast it out to all of your social media followers. Whatever you want. (laughs) We're happy to take. Uh, Charles? Yes, Tracy? We will chat next week. We will chat in the future. (laughs) Okay, that sentence was already in future tense. We will discuss the future. Future tense. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. I will personally kick your shrivel old butt.